Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we will be getting into today is 2013's Pain and Gain versus 2014's Nightcrawler. Keenan, how are we doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Yourself? Not too bad. All right, we've done this the last couple of weeks. If we start with uh, news of the week, today i do have some headlines for you um just to start you off daniel radcliffe has revealed he used to be embarrassed playing harry potter yeah i get it (laughs) he says well he says it's only now he's finished that he realizes how cool it was at the time he didn't like it yeah i imagine this is like teenage style it's just a bit awkward isn't it yeah, he seems like, uh, at least from what we've seen now, and I think we did this uh, a couple of weeks back, he seems to just quite like the fact that he's made his money now. Like That was almost the necessary evil for him, and now he can just go out and do whatever cool stuff he wants to do. There's a lot of random stuff now, don't there? Yeah. Um, Sandra Bullock says that she is still embarrassed by Speed 2. Yeah, again, I get it. <laughs> She should have maybe uh, seen the writing on the wall when Keanu said, no, thank you. Maybe, but I bet they offered her a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. she says the thing she's most embarrassed by is that seemingly everyone on board the film just decided to keep quiet and ignore the fact that the general plot just didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and they just let it be, I guess, because of the money involved. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe you... Uh, the only one that maybe works, because a boat is just ridiculous. Keep it, <coughs> You'd have to keep a plane above a certain altitude in the sky, and obviously then the danger is that it's going to run out of fuel. <laughs> Eventually, it's yeah. just going to drop, so you've got to solve the, the, the mystery before then. Um, well, this is why I said that we reboot the franchise, but with Liam Neeson. I'm still not on board. Um... Someone maybe you would be on board with. Um, Nicholas Cage explains why he thinks National Treasure 3 hasn't been made, something I know you and Sean were uh, clamouring for. Yeah. Uh, he said the phone just stopped ringing. It was like, what do you mean we're not doing National Treasure 3? It's been 14 years, why not? Well, the Sorcerer's Apprentice didn't work. Ghost Rider didn't really sell tickets. And Drive Angry just came and went. I enjoy making movies like Pig, and leaving Las Vegas more than I enjoy making movies like National Treasure. When I talk about fair-weather friends in Hollywood, I'm not talking about Jerry, I'm talking about Disney. They're like an ocean liner, and once they go in a certain direction, you've got to get a million tugboats to try and swivel it back around. Yeah, I I, I imagine he's right. Went from being very, very big to... He's given some quite interesting interviews this week. I don't know if you've seen any of them, any of the quotes. No, I haven't, no. So he basically acknowledges um, 
he was doing these kind of video on demand movies to pay off some debts that he had. Yeah. But he did also want to clarify that he's never in as the expression he used was phoned it in for a role. He said he'd never do that. Any role he's committing to, you'll get the same level, whether it is a national treasure or a ghost rider or whether it is a film that's going to make two dollars. He said he'd never shortchange it, so you could never accuse him of that. I mean, you're the same level of batshit crazy and everything he's in, so. He's making a, a Dracula movie at the moment, which is as camp by the looks of it as you would imagine. Yeah. Is he playing Dracula? Yeah, and that film, uh, The Importance of Something, um, it's got really good reviews early on, so I'm quite interested to, to watch that, actually. The one where he's playing one, himself. Man. It's the film, I did it, maybe it was on a Monday podcast. He's basically playing himself in a film. I think the general gist of it is he's short on change and he gets paid all this money to go to an island and meet up with a Nicolas Cage superfan and then things go from there. But it looks like basically a big budget version of one of these video on demand movies he's done, but it's got like rave reviews so far. I think it's like still 100% on Rotten Tomatoes when it's gone past all the critics. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, I can't say I'm looking forward. I, I'm going to particularly keep an eye out for it. Let's see if I can sort of see what you're talking about. I'm just trying to Google it quickly. I, I did, uh, while you do that, I did actually... Um, put our names forward this week to be um, official movie critics for Rotten Tomatoes moving forward. So we'll wait and see how that goes. That'd be nice. The unbearable weight of massive yeah. talent. That's the one. Nice. Decent cast. Pedro Pascal, Alexandra Mastronardi, Tiffany Haddish, Neil Patrick Harris, and some people I must admit I've not spoken. Oh. I just didn't think I know who one of the guys was, but I do. He's in uh, Bad Neighbours. Yeah, it looks interesting. Um, but yeah, if if we, uh, not that I'm anticipating it, if they were to uh, recognise us for the uh, unbelievable movie critics that we are, it would just get us a uh, free entry to all these uh, premieres and film festivals, and and I guess a nice little tag to put uh, to put alongside the podcast. So we wait and see uh, to find out how that goes. Oh, so you sold us well enough. Yeah, um, probably the same way I sold myself um, on my 2016 Love Island application. Essentially, uh, the opposite of everything you've got in there. Uh, so why not? So we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out. Um, yeah, Ben Stiller. Comments about you, Love Island. No, they didn't make many comments either. <laughs> Ben Stiller has been cast in Jack Nicholson's role for the stage adaption of The Shining. I mean, I think it'll do. I think it'll do. Okay, I can see. I can see it. It does have that. It does have that level of energy. Did you see that clip of him with um, Kyrgios recently? No. So there was a guy heckling. Um, Nick Kyrgios uh, one of the opens and in response he spots Ben Stiller sat courtside and he says 
how why are you telling me how to do my job i don't tell him how to act and ben still looks kind of noticeably kind of <laughs> set back uh, in the crowd but very gray these days um i always just kind of assumed he'd have like, jet black hair forever but he's decided against that it's like um he's, he's got long hair like christopher walken in click but yeah it's just like a dark almost like a silver surfer type color um Godzilla vs Kong 2 is to begin filming this year in Australia. I don't know if you caught the first one. No. No, I did not. Well, in in a, a world of us constantly saying to just enjoy these films that are what they are, you can't really get more of that than Godzilla vs Kong. That's true, but I know I'm not going to enjoy it even for what it is. And I, I think you this. would. When I don't think I would. King Kong is throwing haymakers. I don't. I honestly don't think there's a way I'll enjoy that film. That's why I haven't watched it. Okay. Um, Knocked Up director Judd Apatow has announced that he'll soon be making a sequel to the sort of sequel spin-off This Is 40 with Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd both due to return. Good news for me, probably. I doubt you've seen This Is 40. I've seen This Is 40. Okay. Did you like it? I like This Is 40. Okay. I didn't think you would because I know your thoughts on Knocked Up, which I'm obviously a massive fan of. Yeah, I like This Is 40. This Is 40 took Apatow running times to, I think it was like two hours 20, something mental like that, but did enjoy it. Um, I do like he's effectively just keeping his wife in work as well with that. Just keep keep the franchise going. Yeah, studio's willing to give him X, so he gets yeah. he gets 10%, she gets 10%, happy days. Um. You know, I like to give you these uh, quizzes. So um, veteran actor Samuel L. Jackson is demanding a recount after being told he doesn't hold the record for the most on-screen profanity spoken in feature films. He's in third place. Can you take a guess at who one and two are? Joe Pesci? No, not top five. Um... No, go on. One of their films is one a movie madness bracket. Is it Jonah Hill? He's number one. Really? Wow. Yeah. Number two is Leo DiCaprio. Fair enough. Three is Samuel L. Jackson. Four is Sandler. Mm. And five is Pacino. Pacino? No place for good Bob could be like a list i don't know what the category is but that could be like a list we've put together there jonah hill leo samuel l jackson sandler and pacino yeah it feels like this podcast is the place where you're most <laughs> yeah. To find them all. <laughs> yeah i was quite pleased when i saw the actual list um but yeah samuel l jackson is insistent that that cannot be correct he's about i think there's about 20 between jonah hill and leo which i imagine both of theirs were just significantly bumped up by the wolf of wall street Oh, yeah, it's I think both of them are in the early 300s and then Samuel L. Jackson's like late 200s. 
And you've got to think Jonah Hill with Superbad and Wolf of Wall Street, that's got to be at least like 250 of them. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, like, I know I swear an awful lot. Try to tone it down for the pop, but in my natural pattern of speech, I swear quite No need to tone it down for us. I mark these as explicit every week. I'll do it for you because you get sensitive about it. Nope. No issue. Never tell anyone to tone it down on here. Do you know I mean? You've done that to me multiple times before. Not with language. Yes, I mean, we don't, want to, we don't want hate speech, um, but in terms of swearing, no issue. You're more likely to deliver that than me. None of us would, which is why I've not had to cut anything. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I'll ask them for Angel. I'll probably get for that in a week. If not, if not, I'll far exceed it. <laughs> well, see, there we go. Um, and it was, just finally, today is the 10-year anniversary of the raid being released. Oh, nice. Um, so, didn't realise. Um, we may have a little something next week to uh, celebrate that. The 25th anniversary of the Titanic's coming up as well. Oh, the Titanic film is coming up. I, mean, I don't want to do that for the pod, just for record. No, that is a no. long ass film. Because no. like Harper would be on there and say it's rewatchable. Um, okay, then. Let's start off with our first film of the week, and that is Pain and Gain. There are bad guys out there. They get everything that they want. Doesn't mean we have less right to a piece of the pie. Yes. Newsweek calls Pain and Gain outrageously entertaining. One of the best films of the year. Ah, that hurt. It's supposed to hurt. It's called Pain and Gain. Get up. Pain and Gain, a Michael Bay film, rated R. The synopsis for Pain and Gain. A trio of bodybuilders in Florida get caught up in an extortion ring and a kidnapping scheme that goes terribly wrong. Same question I ask you every week. What do you think the critics thought of this? Four out of ten. I don't know how you want to categorise that into written reviews that don't give a score, but um, that's my general feeling. I think you're probably about right on the Rotten Tomatoes review, actually. So oh, I'll give it to you. Um, incredibly silly and over-exaggerated, Pain and Gain offers very little in substance. But if shameless entertainment is more your thing, indulge away. <laughs> one of one of those that's like intended as an insult for us, but we, actually we take it like a, like the dumb character in a comedy where they're being assaulted and they don't know it. Yeah, no, no, that's definitely that was an but, insult, but, but I we know completely it. agree. <laughs> um, Bay's trademarks are there: the loud music, the slow motion spin, the outlandish action moments. But this is also a movie with plenty of dark humor and a cast not afraid to be the butt of the joke. For Michael Bay, storytelling exists only to justify senselessly bashing some big, shiny, noisy stuff into other big, noisy, shiny stuff till your ears bleed for mercy. Michael Bay's lurid crime comedy, Pain and Gain, is as excessively pumped up as you would imagine a berserk, overblown action movie on steroids to be. Yes, it is exactly. When you realise it's Michael Bay, you're like, yeah, this is pretty much what I thought it might be. Maybe yeah, like, maybe I wasn't even... One more explosion. Yeah, I wasn't even kind of um, referencing the contents of the film when I said to TK last week, it's Michael Bay on steroids, but it's quite. I, I hope someone used that as a tagline because if not, 
we really that we really do need to be brought in. Um, just finally, Lugo and his confederates fetishized the human body, were steeped in misogyny, and had scant intelligence, emotional or otherwise. It's appropriate that their story is brought to the screen by Michael Bay. That's an absolute character assassination. <laughs> <laughs> that just is, isn't it? Uh, well, not, the, not fun. It, uh, I think I said this previously. I do kind of miss when we get these kind of reviews just because we've missed out on them not doing comedies anymore. Yeah. I, um, I think Michael Bay just gets cinema. Yeah, I think that is a good way to put it. And by cinema, I assume you mean kind of the big screen experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't not referring to him as an author or like a, a lover of cinematography. I mean, he may well be, and he might have just worked out early doors that this is how I can make the most money. So yeah, okay, let's have some fun. But he just gets cinema. Even Bad Boys for Life, I watched that in the cinema. Not even that good, but in the cinema, great. Yeah, yeah. Well. That uh, leads me nicely because at just over 20 million, this movie is Michael Bay's lowest budgeted film since his feature film debut, Bad Boys, in 95. Um, Michael Bay, Mark Wahlberg, and Dwayne Johnson all took pay cuts to keep the budget down. This, this dates that because no way, no way, Dwayne, uh, no way the Rock's doing that now. No, no. Or it's. As much as I agree there, some of it may depend on the company. Like, we, we know now that he just seriously despises Vin Diesel. And so for someone like that, he's never going to take a pay cut for because he's probably not going to allow himself to be sunned by someone like that. But maybe just fancied, like, I imagine as The Rock, this is probably a pretty fun role to be playing. Like, he is obviously very, I don't even think body conscious is the right word. Um, body focused is probably without wanting to sound like one of those critics, like a film where the basis of it is him looking good and blowing things up. I have to imagine it's probably pretty fun for him, although that may sum up every other rock film. I was going to say, that does sum up a fair few of them. All he has to do in the first, the first few Fast and Furious is. Well, even then, he, he hates them enough now that. He, He's not doing any of them. No. There's a point in this where I thought, okay, I can see why everyone just enjoyed making this because it does just feel like they're all just in on a big joke. There's a point where after he hits the priest and he says he'd reached rock bottom, and I was like, okay, so this is the kind of film we're doing. Just wanting to look at the camera. Yeah. Swivel the head around. (laughs) I thought if I kind of whiz through the trivia and then maybe if we talk about a few comparisons between that and the true story and then our mm-hmm. thoughts on the film, I will go through it a bit. Um, so Michael Bay says that he'd been wanting to make this film since 2000 and he'd actually delayed doing it multiple times in favour of the Transformers films, which is fair enough. Um, he specifically said that after those movies, he wanted to make a small, inexpensive film as a change of pace. So 20 million budget with... <laughs> Uh, three rock stars and one of the craziest inverted commas true stories you could put on paper is is his slow change of pace. Yeah, but 20 mil is inexpensive for him. Like, 
I reckon in some of his films, mate, that that's the that's like the pyrotechnic I do. Yeah, well, the fact is the the lowest he spent since his debut probably does sum that up pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah. Ninety five. Uh, so, what a year for him. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, ninety five and forty. Yeah. The the home of um, Frank Grieger in the film is actually Michael Bay's house. Well, sorry. And I, I probably couldn't even tell you what Michael Bay looks like. I just know Michael Bay is Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> but it feels very Michael Bay, the fact that he bought the home after Hulk Hogan put it on the market. <laughs> like that just feels so appropriate. This is the this is the house. If you ever watched Hogan Knows Best on MTV or ever flicked past it back in the day um this was the house you would have seen on tv and then michael bay is just the next guy to jump in when it hits the market it's just unbelievable no i never watched hogan knows best it's all you in to see the background of the uh feud between uh hulk and randy orton going after his daughter missed out on some good times there no thank you Rebel Wilson, who describes herself as an avid nunchucks user, brought her own nunchucks for the sex scene to spice things up, in her words. An avid nunchuck user. <laughs> what does that That's mean? Your next Tinder buyer. <laughs> yeah, like, I understand that means she uses nunchucks a lot, but does that mean she's just like bringing people into her house and just whacking them? Or <laughs> is it a sex thing? I don't. I want like what. Else? Does she mean she practices? I, want, I just want to know what being an avid user means. I, I feel like if you put avid nunchucks user in a male's Tinder bio and a female's Tinder bio, it gives off very different energy on either one. Yeah. If if I read it in a bloke's bio, I assume he lives, up, he, he, he lives in a basement. <laughs> um, friend of the pod... John Torturo was initially cast as Victor Kershaw, but later mm. dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. Did, I did read that before, actually. Yeah, there was someone else, and then he basically stepped in to say he liked the role, and then dropped out because of scheduling conflicts. So he wanted it, but he didn't want it that badly. Fair. Uh, the Sun Jim gang made a total of seven failed attempts to kidnap their first victim. Obviously, we didn't get all of that on film. Um, I'll skip some of that for now. Um, How on earth do you fuck that up? Seven? How would you get to seven <laughs> fuck-ups? Like, six fuck-ups would be like, tell you what, we'll go one more. Right, come on. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure, but um, I'll skip some of this. And if I do, just kind of give you some of the uh, kind of true stories around in this. And I know we sometimes skirt around this because... We don't want to turn it into a kind of detracting from the film, but I do think this actually ties in quite well and we can maybe say whether we think the film should have gone a different direction or it could have been done differently. Um, So if we just kind of look at the different characters. So the first thing that is worth mentioning is these guys are all obviously kind of the point of the film is that they're bad guys, but they're not very good at it. I don't know if that's a fair way of describing them. And through that, they managed to turn it into what's effectively, it's more of a comedy than anything else, isn't it? Yeah, it's failed attempts, isn't it? And what they do say, uh, so it's going to be tricky explaining this. So the rock effect 
effectively. And we've seen this in, I think we saw this in Donnie Brasco and we've seen it in other true story films. The Rock's character is kind of an amalgamation of several different characters. Yeah. Something we were talking about off air, the mugshot you see for the Rock's character is just an actor. Like <laughs> they showed the real person for Mark Wahlberg and Anthony Mackie's characters. They just got an actor in and just paid him for a mugshot and then used that to say, look, this is whatever they give the character's name for the rock in this. So they they specify on the poster, this is a true story. They say at the start, this is a true story. And then halfway through the film, they say, this is still a true story. A simple way of putting it is, this is kind of a bit of a true story. Yes, it's very much based on a true story. The premise, yeah, like the, the actual kind of Michael concept, made up. Yeah, the whole concept is the true story, but then what actually fills that concept is just not. Yeah, so what I was effectively getting at was um, Daniel Lugo in particular, uh, in the various write-ups, the police reports, they make very clear that this guy wasn't stupid at all. Um, mm. In fact... He was referred to in uh, the private investigator's report as a smart-ass criminal. Yeah. Um, they say he wasn't even just kind of some brute street guy. Um, Anthony Mackie's character, uh, Adrian Dorball, they say he was a guy that just loved violence. He was a guy who just enjoyed hurting people. So this whole thing here is just i guess almost the character of daniel lugo in this film he's got i mean he's, he's not a awful looking bloke but mark Wahlberg is doing him a favor as happens yeah. in a lot of these uh bar picks and they're also doing his character a favor in this because it seems to be he was just some scheming like criminal mastermind and they paint him as this bumbling guy who just felt that the world owed him a favor that's not penny. that's not doing it i'd be more annoyed at that yeah okay i get what you're saying i mean in the sense that they aren't really billing him in this as a horrible guy they bill him as a guy with a conscience which yeah, appears no, to be more I, than I what he does have i get that part of it but i'd also be annoyed if i knew the true story I happened to see this i'm like well what what, what what's this yeah kind of like right. the um serial killer thing isn't it where a lot of the reason they say they get caught is subconsciously they almost want to be because they want the credit for what they've done they don't want it going to anyone else and they certainly don't want it being portrayed as well the multiple people or however you say it um so i guess i can see what you're saying in this case yeah fair. uh the character in the film uh victor kershaw i believe his name is in the film uh, Mark Schiller is the name of the guy in real life. Mm. He is probably the guy who gets hardest done by. And he actually went on to write a book just because of the kind of publicity that came out with this. Where it's kind of like Molly's game where they didn't name everyone, but it took you two seconds to Google the story and then you saw everyone's name. Um, he says he's very harshly done by. He wasn't an arrogant guy. He didn't own fancy cars. He didn't have a personalized number plate. Like he was a family man that 
happened to be a very successful businessman. Yeah. He didn't go to the gym and he didn't boast to uh, Lugo. Someone else who worked um, with the Sun Hill gang briefly, kind of one of these characters that came in and out, he'd had some issues with this guy and then he told Lugo about him and that's how he became their first victim. Like, he had, he'd never wronged him. This And he says, you, you, you kind of see this film and I know it's done to mean that you don't completely resent the main characters but he said people watch this film they almost feel like i deserve to have my things taken from me but no it's that's really not the case yeah like like the stuff they do is just ridiculous as well like it's crazy the thing with um trying to run over his head that that part is actually a true story yeah um although he is very quick to to let people know and the police report says similar there was no level of um, remorse or even uh, hesitation in this there was no kind of bickering between them trying to push it you do it you do it they very clearly set out they were going to kill him now that they had his possessions so <laughs> this is another kind of part that they've got a, they've got away with yeah Another one who I thought the film paints a very different uh, picture of was uh, the character played by uh, Rob Corddry. Yeah. And his name was... I'll get it before we finish. Um, John Meze. The film is John, isn't it? Yeah, that's his actual name. Uh, John okay. Meze or John Mees. Um he actually had a far greater involvement in this film. They paint it as almost he was offered the sponsorship and he kind of turned a blind eye to not getting the signature in person. And that was really the only bad thing he did (laughs) in real life. He was a guy in his fifties. He had an involvement in the kidnapping, not a physical involvement, but he was aware of it happening. He did notarize the documents. He was an accountant. He was responsible for the laundering of the cash. He opened up fake businesses to do so. Um, He actually turned down a plea bargain to turn on the others, which maybe shows you, uh, one, the kind of guy he was, and two, his level of involvement that he was offered it to kind of flip on the others. Yeah. He was offered a plea bargain of nine years, minus the two and a half he'd already served, and he turned it down, um and took the 56. Is that great? Um, do yeah. you know in 2003 he was resentenced? I don't know. But Originally I, got I, 56 I, years, by the way. Yeah. I, what I do know is the actual reason, and they probably could have done this in the film because it would have played quite well. Um, he actually had a history with the private detective, Ed Dubois, they went to school together and they actually helped each other with their businesses. Um, so initially, the the PI didn't want to believe it and he refused to believe that his old mate from school could have been involved in such a crime. Yeah. John, the, the foolish guy that he was, allowed the detective to search his office and said, look, you're not going to find anything here. What John didn't realise was that Lugo and his gang had left written paper records 
laying out their kidnapping plans <laughs> and left those documents in the office in the bin not shredded just scrunched up and so obviously they see this piece of paper they can't explicitly tie it to him but that's when him and the police start to take the story seriously and then look into it in the level of detail they do that ultimately leads to all three of them being sentenced So it's strange that that wasn't included as part of the film because you think that would play one into the characters if you are selling them as bumbling idiots. Yeah. And two, it plays a bit differently to him saying ninjas kidnap me and then all of a sudden you go, okay, look, there's something not right, not something not quite right here. I believe you. Let's go with it. As do what the writer of one hundred over a hundred published songs. Blimey. Um, he also wasn't happily married either. He was a guy that was working security for the NFL to fund his PI business. They say the most accurate portrayal in the whole film was the stripper who wasn't passed from Lugo to another one of his henchmen. They remained married. Yep. Um, she really did believe she was working for the CIA they told her that she was a honey trap for them and would help lure people in. Um, and I haven't got all the details, but at some point Lugo's parents were at least involved somewhat to the point where Lugo, his wife and his parents went on the run together before they were eventually caught. So he got the family involved. Yeah, poor. To be honest. Yeah, it's, I guess. Um, and I'm sure you, you've read a bit around the story as well. Is there a part of you that thinks as much of you as much as you enjoyed the film, it could have been done better, or it certainly could have been done differently? I don't know. I mean, I haven't read it. I will say, as you probably expect by now, I haven't read it as extensively as you have. Um, so I mean, in terms of done better, I do like the the accidentally finding stuff as an idea. Just just if you are going to show them as buffoons, then that's not a bad way of doing it. Um, that he started Lugo. Maybe I don't know something different as a scene that Lugo started and then ceased cooperating with the police at the end. Okay. Because um, he agreed to it. He, he did agree to like identify. He was like, I'll show you where the bodies are buried and stuff. Um, but the like the drums he took them to. Like this actually, actually you say about him having no remorse and not having a conscience. This makes this would play probably play differently to how they've done it. But basically, just took him to the torso. He had no hands, no feet, no head for the body for like the and identification. And then he was just like, "I'm he, not going to tell you anything more." He actually wasn't the guy that killed him either. No, it was doorbell. Doorbell or doorbell seems like well, that's a bit too easy of a surname, but. Yeah, the guy who they say left violence and his yeah. head was crushed with a weight and his wife did help clean up the blood but insists she didn't know what she was cleaning up. Um, and then, up a lot. Have you ever cleaned up a lot of blood? No. Okay. The most I've had to clean up is like a nosebleed and that was on um, like a tiled floor. I think I've told this before. Um, when I, when I was younger, I smashed my nose um, trying to run into a McDonald's, 
and tried to unzip my coat as I was running in. Couldn't get the zip undone. So with my hands behind my back in my coat, I fell face forward and smashed my nose on the old, you know, the old checkered floors you used to get at McDonald's yeah. as a kid. And um, someone came out from behind the counter. My mum thought they were coming to bring some napkins and they said, uh, can you take him away, please? He's putting people off their food. That's fair. I mean, I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, like, even that, like, you know it's blood. Yeah, and it's an easy wipe up. That's the, got got there in the end, effectively. I've not had to, certainly not to clean anything off, off the carpet. The most I've cleaned is cat sick, which is grim enough in itself, so I wouldn't fancy cleaning up any blood. I mean, I hope I'm not in a position where I have to, to be, <laughs> to be honest. I've had to do that on carpet before. Unless you've got sure. some rich bosses, maybe. Actually, your boss uh, your boss listens, so let's take that out. No, 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 no. I uh, don't want to indict ourselves. No, and he's certainly got it. Like, he'd, like, I'd be careful. He'd, he was like, you will cut yourself with, with a standing knife. It happens. It will happen. Just be careful. <laughs> what the hell are you doing with a standing knife? Working with my dad. Oh, okay. The the way I had that then was you're just playing with it and your dad's gone, you're going to hurt yourself. No, no, no. no. <laughs> like, You've gone off. Like you're doing nunchucks. No, no, my dad wasn't. He was a, a floor player. Um, and he was like, you will, will cut yourself. It, like, it is going to happen. Just try not to hurt yourself too badly. And I did. And it was just like, just because so, the blade was so sharp, you don't really feel it. Until like a minute later, when it's an open wound and it's stinging, and you turn around and there's just you've got a handprint yeah. full of blood on someone's brand new carpet. And it's like, mm, you're gonna have to get this one out. Yeah, I've done, I've done did you manage to get it out? Yeah, thankfully, it was dark carpet. We'd have been fucked if it was clean. Yeah, I managed to slip with a pair of scissors the other day and uh, realized the panic I caused my mum when I told her I slipped and I had uh, she just saw a pair of scissors in my hand. I managed to jab perfectly a can of cherry coke and it just pissed right on top of my laptop. Laptop okay? Yeah, fortunately. I'd rather have uh, cut my finger or something if it was going to uh, wipe out my laptop. Um, although I've won the Champions League with Brighton now, so less less important. Um, this film though, so say you look at the mood they manage in uh, Wolf of Wall Street that we've already mentioned. Do you think there is a director, and it doesn't have to be Scorsese, but you could have approached a film in that way where you acknowledge that you're not going to go completely down the dark path because we've, we've spoken before, haven't we? It's very rare you can have your main character's as horrible people with no redeeming qualities. It's very difficult to do. And we'll speak about that with Nightcrawler. It actually ties in quite well. Um, so I don't think you're going to do it that way. But is there a way you could do this differently? And maybe you could make it more of a... I don't know the word, but you, a kind of a mob-style film, really. Maybe. I mean, there's if, enough you go down there, if you go down it, the it's a crazy down, enough story. If you go down the mob route, then it does become a bit. It has to be relatively dark to be any to be to be some to be successful. I think. Okay, um, I'm just throwing things out here. 
Um, could you do it, and not in the style of, but maybe if you did it kind of like Heat, where you almost have an equal amount of screen time for bad guys one side, good guys the other. So we're still making them kind of equally important characters, but you can then really go dark on the one side. And even if it is the Rock's character who, or amalgamation of characters that is the slight voice in the back of their head, you can really hone in on that side and then the PI side on the other. It's just good, bad and ugly and it's almost like, that's all it is. Um, Do you, I don't think it works in that style, no. Yeah, maybe I've explained it, Paul. I effectively just mean you can make it a bit grungier because I just, I read the true story and I was like, I like the film. I don't want to paint for a second. I said last week, maybe the the week I've been most excited to rewatch. It just feels like you've slightly fumbled it because very rarely are you going to redo the same story so quickly. No. No, I, I mean... Yes, there's a lot more they can include, but we can say that about any quite film. Um, in terms of, the it feels style, like there's so many key parts missed out in this. I, I understand it, but what more? It's again, this is no disrespect to him, but he is a Michael Bay film. It's not going to be. They're not designed to be story heavy. No, but the story leads like, to we... the next set piece, then to the next set piece, to the next set piece. We could have had maybe like two less musical numbers where they're seemingly on like a spinning platform in slow motion. Mm. Um, and then a bit more narrative, like even just the things that we said, like them finding the paperwork in the office, because that side of things feels, feels a bit bumbled to me. Like there's a suspicion there. The dog runs home and they're like, okay, these are the guys we need to get. Let's get them. And then for two of three, there's no issue. And in real life, there wasn't. But it feels weird to go all in the one side. And it kind of feels like there's a list of set pieces they wanted to get in. And then yeah. almost rush the ending, which feels weird with a film that's two and a quarter hours long. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Like I say, it's not Michael Bay. It's not designed to be story heavy. It's designed to be this happens so I can show you this ha- this happening. And I don't mean this is in a like a narrative point as in yeah. Well, this has happened, so now we're at the point where I can blow I can blow this up, or I can do this, or I can kill this guy in this way. That's exactly what it is. I mean, yes, them getting caught. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you you probably could extend it and do a few different bits of it. I I don't necessarily disagree. Um, but I'm, I'm the same as you. At the same time, I don't want to say that I dislike the film because that would be no, no, that not would, at all. Would, would would be a lie. Have uh, you added Gangster's Paradise to the top of your Spotify since rewatching? No, it's already on there. Yeah, I mean to the top of it. Like sometimes you unlike it, and you like it again, so it's the top of your like songs. No, I've never, I've never done that. Well, how pumped were you when the song did come on during the film? Because I remember that being really heavily marked, heavily marketed alongside the film. I don't. You don't? Okay. No, I remember. I, I completely forgot they were in that. To be honest. My my memory with it was they 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 marketed that song 
heavily and the the little cle- little scene you get in the 30 second like tv trailers of when um he dunks on the little kid and says i can i could be a stepdad or something along those lines yeah um that was like kind of the end piece of the trailer but yeah i remember gangster's paradise being like a really heavy part of it and it does go very well with the slow motion it does go very well with the slow motion you are correct Kind of, to be fair. Great lyrics to go along with this. It is a very well-chosen soundtrack. Yes, yeah, it is, yeah. Um, do you think there was any inspiration from The Wolf of Wall Street in the making of this? You've got kind of the... Uh, Don't say it's wrong. Infomercial it. guy, the kind of motivational time. speaker. Wolf's 2012. They're probably filming as wolf comes out so i mean they might have towards the end but i don't think on a 20 mil budget you're recutting stuff okay there is um and these reviews are after the fact but yeah there there are some accusations that they've maybe pinched some bits so do you think that's just a coincidence because and i'm literally talking about the motivational speaker who there's no reference to in any recollections of anyone involved like i don't know where that's come from um, and the amount of voiceovers is another thing that's kind of been pointed out. Like that's not a traditional Michael Bay feature. Maybe, but a voiceover you can definitely dub in after the fact. But there's like there's quite a lot, isn't there? Like you've got voiceovers for Danny Lou, Danny Lou about loves a, six Walt characters. Loves a voiceover in this. You've got voiceovers from all three main characters. You've got it from the stripper. You've got it from the private detective. You've got it from. Uh, Kershaw I mean there's probably someone else in there but that's six already mm-hmm. and then when Lugo has multiple like yeah. maybe this is one of those things where there was so much and he didn't want to kind of cut out anything else he had so it's an easy way of kind of skipping past that, that's bits of the story voiceovers in so many cases um, it's just as like exposition it does just it's so simple I need to film two scenes to show you something I can just tell you. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe you were spot on them anyway. I'll be honest, and they did nip a lot of football. I think any big crime film that came out just after suffered the comparison of Wolf. Yeah, and that is it. it or may crime, just be... crime comedy, maybe. Or where it's supposed to be funny. It's not just abjectly dark. Like it, was, would, it did suffer the comparison for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so any, film sure. about money, any film about money now, like about big money and Wall Street, etc. Financial institutions still gets it now, 10 years later. Because as, as much as I mean, we've <coughs> joked me. about, um, we've joked about the kind of Michael Bay style. Mm. If you are in, let's be fair if if me and you went to go and see this in 2014 yeah there was no explosions there was no kind of in your faceness in it so it was toned right down and it was michael bay saying okay i've taken the criticism on board i'm not going to do that we'd have left the cinema disappointed because it's not what we've paid the money to go and see so he's probably in at this stage Lose, lose. Like, there's, what can you do? 
And if people are still paying to see Michael Bay films, why the hell would you change Michael Bay films? Yeah, I, I get I get your point. I do I do think enough people shift around enough that you you can you you can sort of change. But again, like I say, <coughs> sorry, he worked out what works for him early from the, from from the first feature. He goes from there. Like he, for all the criticism that Michael Bay gets, and fuck me, don't he get a lot with any film he releases? But he does know his audience. Yeah, I'm going to go and see that ambulance film that he's just released. And I hope it has plenty of explosions. I hope it has plenty of great car chases. Yeah. And everything else that comes with a Michael Bay film. So. I hope it's set in the sunshine because every one of his fucking films seems to be set in the sun. It's like he doesn't like filming in cold places. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in LA. Yeah, of course it is. Jake Gyllenhaal and it's some kind of heist so yeah I'm, I'm completely on board for that um, you do have some great bits with the voiceovers I think the opening um, voiceover with uh, Lugo talking about the American dream and patriotism and people squandering their gifts and I mean it's, it's very hammed up but it yes, sets it the scene very, very quickly uh, it's got a few punchlines in there I think as a guy but and I, I haven't got the poster in front of me if me and you were arranging the poster you would have Mark Wahlberg front and centre for this film wouldn't you? Yes you would yeah and it's a good it's a good Dwayne Johnson the rock performance it's Anthony Mackie pretty much doing what Anthony Mackie's done for the last 10 years plus they all got the memo for this film and I, I think all of them deliver for the direction in which they were clearly asked to go I think if you're Michael Bay doing this if if I was to recast it I don't really know where you'd go like I think if this is the direction you want to go in you've got the right guys for the jobs so no complaints from me there yeah no, it's fair. No, we said this last night when you and I were talking. I completely agree. Um, will you be turning to breast milk to bulk up? No. So you're not Finally taking enough. that on board from uh, Dorbel? No, no, I'm okay. Weird seeing Ed Harris as a good guy in this film. It is weird seeing Ed Harris as a good guy. Like, I literally saw a tweet the other day. And it was just saying, uh, it was something along the lines of, um, you think you're watching a nice, happy film, and then Ed Harris just pops up to be the, just, just the most despicable man <laughs> you've ever seen on screen before, every he, single time. He's meant he's so good at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's got the look. Um, he's got the look, to be fair, that he completely is believable in this role. Um, I mm. think of everything in the film. Maybe the most I laughed was um, Wahlberg saying, I can deal with his impotence. I can't deal with your incompetence. Great line. That that was true, by the way, um, due to the steroid use. He had become impotent, but that wasn't the reason why they carried on doing jobs. Like 
Um, alongside all of this, and I'll just say read into it if you don't know what these what it is. Um, they were running a one of those Medicare scams. I think you got a lot in the late nineties in America. Um, yeah. Effectively, like a medical insurance scam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lugo was running that, and I guess that plays in, and maybe why they didn't include it because you can't really have someone doing that while being thick in the head, basically. Um, right. And he was giving cuts of that to his associates while while it was going on, mm-hmm. and so there wasn't a position where they needed to go back and do another score. So he could get hard, basically. Like, he loved being violent. Lugo felt that he was owed this money. He felt it was easy money. Like, he was a big guy. He could out-muscle people and do this and that. Um, So this went along. And actually, the Victor Kershaw character, and this isn't included in the film, and I can understand why, the second the trial ended for Lugo and his associates and the Sunhill gang and they go down, upon leaving the courtroom, he's actually arrested himself. Mm. He was running his own Medicare scam and he'd amassed about 14 million. Now, because of basically how much he'd been fucked up by the Sunhill gang, yeah. In one of the first cases in the American justice system, the judge of his trial provided a character testimony for his trial later on to say he didn't deserve that harsh of a punishment. Hmm. He should Thank have gosh. got he should have got over nine years. And I think it was taken down to about two and a half, I believe. That's it's between two and a half and four. He got far less than he should have because the judge gave such a great testimony of his character and said, this guy does not deserve to be punished after what he's gone through. He's been punished enough. I mean, I'm not... That's obviously the reason they're not doing it, but if you were to um, were to think about it in, in that vein, if they had made the decision solely based on that and it was no gain for them, it was a punishment for his crimes. With relation to vigilante justice, I'm not a fan. But you can be like, well, yeah, I sort of get that. Yeah, so in the end, they gave him basically just the minimum they could possibly give him um, through their justice system. But yeah, there's just so much of this story. I can understand for a start why Michael Bay must have, we assume he bought the rights when he's saying he wanted to make this film for so long. You can fully understand why when you are an action director you look at this story and you're like, absolutely, I want to make that film. Like, what the hell? Like, there's so much to put in. You could have done a trilogy. Hmm. No, Probably, no, to be that. fair, would have made a great Netflix series where you could get all of this in. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. I, it would make a very good Netflix series. You're probably more likely to see that than... Uh, like another big screen production of it, at least within the next couple of years. Maybe once you've gone over 10 years, they might look at it differently. And 2014 being eight years ago is horrible enough to see, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just so much here that they could have done. Um, but the production that we do get, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed. 
I was a bit worried on the rewatch as I always am when I have fond memories of a film. Did you see this in the cinema or on streaming platform? Streaming platform, mate. I remember leaving the cinema and I guess as they've intended, feeling quite pumped up. I was like, that was a, that was a fun two hours. Like, I've enjoyed, I don't feel I've wasted my time then. This was good. And I think then as soon as it came out on DVD, um, when this time, this may have been right at the end when I was working. Didn't inspire you to get in the gym. I actually, I actually, uh, multiple times in my life have joined a gym. Um, so have I. Bless me, couldn't speak to so I'm not even making fun of you. I was asking no, a serious question. To be fair, my main issue, and you're going to say now, not the main issue, but <laughs> he's, go, he's going to the gym. He's not really knowing what to do. Um, oh, if yeah. I was going on my own, like, I can get on a treadmill, fine. I used to quite like doing that. I can do the chest press. I know, I know that. But to, for when people go in and they're like, "I'm doing arms today. I'm doing like quads today. I'm, I'm doing my tricep." I'll be like, "What the hell are you on about?" So it was really a waste of money for me uh, yeah, doing that. But googling any of that. Yeah, but I always felt so self-conscious in there that it just ruined my experience. That I felt I wasn't doing anything properly. Um, so. It was a waste of money, really, because the gym by me, I didn't want to have to get on a bus to go to the gym. So the one oh, by true. me was kind of a health and spa place. So it was, a, it was yeah. quite a small gym, but it was within walking distance for me. And in the end, I got screwed over by them, but that's another story. Um, mine, was, mine was legit lockdown. I was going loads for lockdown. And then I just never, I had not set foot in the place in two years. <laughs> I think I've told this story before about the one year probably year eight or nine maybe um around the age when you just you just find like a small set of weights in your room like you must just get it at christmas or something but like every ladder knows seemed to have like a smallish pair of weights that you could just kind of do your bicep curls with or whatever yeah um i remember doing sit-ups every night because i could never do press-ups properly um mm. like i dread that in football training because you have someone going you're not getting down properly but like, i can't do them just stop and I was doing sit-ups so much where I would just add on, like, at first it'd be like, okay, I'll do an extra 25 every night and then I'll do this and this to the point where, like, I couldn't stand up straight. I just overexerted myself and I could not stand up straight without being in pain. And in the end, one of my brothers, had, I think they just jumped on me without me being aware and it seemed to just crick my back back into back into place but me and the gym as you would see if you saw a picture of me now we're just not a good mix yeah no good not no good no used to like the steam room more than the sauna if that was uh if that means yeah. anything i don't know if you had one of them at your gym but yeah that was one of the to. that was one of the few perks of me just how nice nice and cold your drink felt when uh <laughs> when you went into the sauna I'll uh, be honest. I know it's not really for you these days, but great for a hangover. Yeah, me going to the gym on a hangover would be the last thing I'd be doing. No, no, no. The actually, sauna or a steam room is great for a hangover. So um, this is very off tangent, but I guess it's kind of what we do. Um, I actually got offered a job once by a guy whilst I was sat in the sauna. Um, and he kind of sold the dream. And I think... I. I effectively i didn't even know his name i just knew him from 
this is a guy I would see in the gym. So this maybe tells you the amount I was going, despite mm. not knowing what I was doing. Um, and I'd see him in there and he'd see me and I would work in um, the supermarket that rhymes with a schmoop. And he'd see me in there and he'd be like, you always look so unhappy until. Well, yeah, probably because I, I am. Yeah. And he painted just this image of this great job and he'd be like, you'd be getting about double the money you're on down there. You come down here, you do seven hours a day. I'll give you a lift there and back. I think it was in, I think it was like in the forest somewhere. Anyway, just not really knowing how to handle that situation. I was like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, until he started coming into the co-op and asking me when I was going to join the gym with him. Kind of defeated the point of no, saying yeah. it rhymed with Shmo up there. But yeah. at the point where he would just come in and just shoot me daggers when he was coming in. And I used to have to get someone else to go on till because it's a very, very big, weird looking bloke. But there you go. As I said, me and the gym just don't mix very well. So mm. I've got a long list of reasons if I, if I had to stand up and say, this is why I don't go, um, which would ignore the main reason I don't go. But you being groomed yeah. would be one of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and once then I, joined another job and you see these things where it gets sent round in look if you can convince someone to join our place you'll get a 50 100 pound 250 500 pound bonus it suddenly made a lot more sense as to why he was particularly unhappy i hadn't followed up with him uh wanting me to go and join his place of work yeah and get in a car with someone there and back didn't even know the bloke um, yeah, that's not that's not ideal. There we go. Um, what is your favourite scene in the film? Probably the the kidnap, as it was. Ninjas, ninjas jumping out. Mhm. Very very funny. Yeah, I enjoyed the chaos of the second murder. First murder. Yeah what they think is their second murder mm. um yeah just the chaos surrounding that the wife running around <laughs> horse tranquilizer which she just happens to have uh, on deck ready um don't know if i mentioned by the way he didn't actually meet his wife at the sexual health clinic oh, okay just wanted to put that out there that was but she did divorce him so she could testify against him which I guess plays in when we know that she helped clean up some of the blood. Makes a lot more sense that way. Okay. Yeah, sure. Should we should we talk about our second film? Yeah, okay. Crash with injuries just occurred, Western and Third. Hello, I'm Lewis Boom. I film breaking news stories. You got something good for us tonight? <laughs> you went inside the house, you can film the bodies. This tape is evidence. Do I have to give it to you? Is there any reason why you wouldn't? <laughs> Start filming. We want all of it. The people who did this, they're still out there. I think everything you said is a lie. Nightcrawler. Rated R. Okay, so Nightcrawler. When Lewis Bloom, a con man desperate for work, muscles into the world of L.A. crime journalism, he blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. What do you think the critics thought of this? This was pretty big. And 
this was the first time you'd seen it, wasn't it? I was about to ask you, sorry, in the cinema. Mm-hmm. No, it was the first time I ever saw it. Yeah, I, was, I didn't see it in the cinema. I wanted to, I remember, but I think it's just one of them. You constantly say you're seeing, never do. But I remember seeing it when it came out and one of those films that really hangs in your mind for me the first time I saw it. And I think I must have rewatched it very quickly after. But I'll run you through the critics' reviews and we'll get into that after. There are a number of factors that contribute to the success of Nightcrawler. But if ever a film or a one-man show, it's this one, as Julian Hall makes the movie his own from minute one. Dan Gilroy's pitch-black satire of the 24-7 news cycle and our morbid fascination with the misery of others is a devious delight. Is it downplaying the film to call it a satire? I mean, there are parts of it that are satirical. There are parts of it that are fucking border on parody, mate. Yeah. Um, I've got to be honest. But, like, I, I, yeah, I, I get that point. It's almost, I don't want to say allegorical, but it's almost, you say, they're holding a mirror to the situation that you find we find ourselves in in this world. Because yeah. they are, like, like, the whole point is, right, people do love to see this shit, but. Yeah, and especially when someone's paying for it, if you can't find it, you create it. Mm. That's capitalism and commercialism as a as a fucking as a as an idea. <laughs> uh, it skillfully juggles a character with no redeeming features through his obsession with his work and thrusts him into a world where the lines between right and wrong are always questioned and debated. Nightcrawler is a brilliantly crafted neo-noir neo-noir that has a lingering effect long after the end credits. The film was deservedly nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. And finally, a brisk pace, a taut story, and one hell of a vividly unnerving performance from Gillian Hall. Dan Gilroy has crafted the most original thriller of the year. Nightcrawler will haunt you for days. Um, I just don't think where to start with this one. So I, I think a question I was going to ask a moment ago, actually, uh, where it's referenced, uh, he's thrust into a world where the lines between right and wrong are always questioned and debated. And you've they, mentioned it they, there with the sorry. You say always debated isn't true. I mean, do you have a couple of times where, like, with the when they're in and they're like, oh, we're not sure we should show this. And Nina's, oh, no, fuck it, we're doing it. No, I think they mean debate. in real life. Like, oh, sorry, my Thrust them into a world where the lines, like, <laughs> in the general news cycle. Sorry, I thought they, they were referring to it in, in, in the film. Because I know I've mentioned doing media studies before and you had the one side of it which was film and that was the entertaining side and you had the other side that was about kind of the news media and this kind of thing mm-hmm. and it was the less interesting side um but it was mentioned in there about the debate you constantly have with um and it applies more to kind of celebrity journalism but i guess it does play yeah. with some of this as well and it's do we have a right to know these things and the the way that it's effectively the press handle it in this country is look we'll print it 
and then it's up to you whether you want to read it. No one has a right for us to not know their business is effectively um, the motto. And in this, you touched on it, where we all look at these things and there was a phase when probably year 11, 12 or whatever year it would have been where the internet, perhaps we just don't see it now, was just riddled with these videos that yeah. we were watching at like 15, 16 years old and it'd be like one man, one screwdriver, like, and it would just be all some like execution and some, some of the shit you'd see. And to the point, and we referenced it on this pod plenty of times where someone would like reference like an execution and you could have like 20 lads in a room and all of them be like, yeah, I know, I know the one you're on about or the screwdriver ones or jars and et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to go into the details of all of them, but all of these things, we would still end up seeing them. And as you saw one to the next, to the next, you'd be flinching less and less. And that's kind of what the news cycle is now, isn't it? Like, I don't yeah. know about you. I wasn't particularly moved by any of the gore you see in this film. It didn't kind of knock me back um, because we're used to seeing these things. Exactly that way. You become decent. It becomes sort of decent. You become desensitized. It becomes less sensational. And then, like, it, it's very numbing. I mean, the news as a whole is fucking depressing. It does yeah. become very numbing. It does become very numbing. And it's horrible. It leads to it will lead hopefully not whilst i'm not here but it will at some point lead to a generation of sociopaths because no they won't possess they won't possess the, the, there will be a generation that doesn't possess the empathy or, or the ability to know right, right from wrong because these things are reported how, how many bad things do you see they, they aren't condemned right well as these things as, as we're desensitized I was going to say, as we're desensitised to it, effectively it just gets taken up a notch until desensitised to that, and there's only so far up that ladder you would hope we can go. I don't think, I don't think those humans have repeatedly shown a capacity for violence and the macabre that is unrivaled. Because it's not done in all cases to survive. It's not done instinctually. You prove that by premeditation and premeditated murders. So I don't think that there ever is and as we sensationalise things, I think that bar will only will only increase horrifically, as it may be. And I do think that will be the case. And it's the same with there will one day be a fucking generation of sociopaths where they don't they lack the empathy and they lack the ability to know right from wrong. So, so we don't condemn half of these things. Like in the main no. in the mainstream, you 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 see them, and I realise that's the point of trying to balance reporting it. And if you're reporting something and it's not an op-ed. It's not an opinion piece. The point of it is that you have to report, you should report the facts. Yeah. Listen, and you have the moment of that in this film, don't you? Right at the end of the film, where yeah. he gets some context to the story and they say, Well, that's going to detract from the story. We're not printing that. Let them say that tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, uh, I'm sure our listeners have their own opinion of mainstream media, and that's not a conversation I particularly want to have on a Thursday evening. No, 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 I cringe um, when I hear that phrase these days because of uh, the type of conversations you do see. The point of it is that that's, that's where it goes. And like, yeah. the, the big thing, I mean, in terms of you say, and every generation in terms of 
sensational and have to outpass itself. So Elvis Presley was sensational at the time. Parents didn't want their kids listening to Elvis Presley, and then it moved on, and so on and so forth until we like so our, our Christopher Walkins. No, no, um, but it was a case of <laughs> um, I think M. Um, I mean, I was in in the sentences. I'm gonna like uh, the something since since Elvis, um, and that was the point. He was then the version of it. That he was the new form of that, and yeah. he was doing his lyrics were obviously more wildly more authentic than Elvis's. Um, yeah. And it, it goes on and goes on from there. And it's, it's just an aspect of life. Every generation tries to outdo the last. Well, if I take us, if if I take us through the trivia, because there are points of it which do bring up some questions, which I'll ask you about. So, um, Jake Gyllenhaal lost twenty pounds for the role. Um, it was his own idea. He says that he visualised Lou as a hungry coyote. Um, we often reflect on these actors that get to bulk up for roles and not in the way they do for Pain and Gain, but more in the way of Bad Santa 2 is the one we reference. So this one seems far worse, having to lose £20 in a short space of time. Having to is the wrong word. Choosing to. Yeah, but he, he in his I mean, own head decided that's what he had to do. Jay Ginnell plays Gaunt very well, and I, I get yeah. what he does it. Yeah. Um, when you're, so, you look hungry, you look hungry, and I know it's going to sound terrible because um, if you look at me, I am not someone who has looked as though they've ever missed a meal in their life. Um, but it's easy to play desperate. It's easy to play desperate thin. So you look hungry. It's not easy to get to that stage. No, but if you look hungry in the face, it's easy to convey desperation. Yeah. Um, so during the scene where Gyllenhaal screams himself in the mirror, they say he got so improvised, he got so into the scene that when the mirror broke, he cut his hand. Uh, he was driven to the hospital by the director after a 19-hour day of working and got 46 stitches in a four-hour-long operation. Um, he returned to the set six hours after being discharged because he liked how his face looked. Um, this is also why he has his hand behind his back in the scene where he tells the scrapyard owner his motto. Mm. Um, now, Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't claim to do that on the set of this. It's just that he knew the look he wanted. But I saw a thing the other day and it was referring to method acting and I can't remember who it was that was credited as uh, talking about it. And they were saying... No one ever talks about method acting when they're playing like a lovely character. Like no one ever says, I was a real delight to be around because I was playing this lovely like family man and I got so into my method acting that I was bringing cakes onto set for everyone and I was hugging everyone. They said method acting is effectively an excuse to be a dick, basically. And that's what it's become. So when Jared Leto is telling you like you, you can't come near him because he's method acting as a vampire it's like what the hell are you talking about the point around that being is if you if you if you're, in, you're inherently saying i am a good like, i'm i'm oh, i'm a nice guy normally but i had to go to these really dark places imagine if you would start yeah I'm, I'm a fucking arsehole but i'm playing this i'm playing this pediatrician who's been who saves children's lives every day he's got no skeletons <laughs> in his closet that's all he does so i had to i had to really really try my hardest to be nice to everyone around me you sound like a fucking. You sound like a dick. But then, you, like, 
regardless of the concept, that is it would just be terribly bad PR. They tried acting. They tried asking. I think it was Colin Farrell about it on the new Batman film, um, where he plays the Penguin. They were like, "Did so you have to really get into character? We've seen on Batman, Batman films before. People have to take themselves to dark places." And he was like, "Well, no, a lot. I showed up, had a fun time playing a character that I'm not used to, and then I went home like a normal person does at work. <laughs> I don't know what you're asking me." And it does kind of make a mockery, like. People have said the Heath Ledger thing effectively was he said that he stayed he stayed in his hotel room and read comics and then mm. tried to write from the perspective of the character and people are like, oh my god he's gone mental it's like, what? Right, <laughs> this isn't a thing this is what fucking a million people do millions of people do oh, writing whenever I hear method acting and Jared Leto is the one whose name I constantly hear it around and he said it already this week where the director said you know, on set sometimes shooting Morbius, um, some people were taking like 10 steps back because when he gets into character, man, and you, you just don't want to be near him, it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Just stop. This isn't making us watch the film because you're telling us Jared Leto really thought he was a vampire or a werewolf or whatever he's going to be. Just stop. Be just honest, stop it. Jared, Jared Leto can bite, can bite my neck at any point and not in the way that you're going to laugh. Oh, I was in, I was in, I was in character. Yeah, sounds. I still want a million. I still want a million dollars for the damage. <laughs> I didn't know where we were, where we were going. That, that's a wild start to a sentence. Yeah, and I knew you were going to laugh. Be childish. Well, no, that's why I prefaced it. Uh, is that one of those ones where, as you're saying the sentence, you you realise how it sounds? No, I knew I was going to say I prefaced it after <laughs> saying it. I knew I was going to sound Yeah, I, I thought that was because once you'd said it, you were no, like, no, yeah, no. this sounds a bit... You give me far too much credit that you think well, that I think about what I say. Thank you. No, I thought once you said it, it was a bit like, oh, vague. maybe that didn't sound like how I wanted yeah. to say. No, um, it sounded like you had like a real big thing for Jared Leto. No, I knew you were going to laugh because you're a child. Oh, no, <laughs> anyone that opens that starts senses with, well, I'll tell you now. Jared Leto can bite my neck anytime. I'm going to think, what the, what the hell are you on? Again, because you're a child, that's fine. I only you'd laugh, that's why I put that smart. TK would have laughed if he was on here as well. I mean, um, you can do the math there, right? <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed rode along with actual nightcrawlers in Los Angeles to prepare for their roles. Have you seen the Netflix doc? I was about to reference this. I, I watched the first couple of episodes um, right I after watching this I film. Seen, I haven't seen that, by the way. I just wondered if you had, and if it was worth yeah, yeah, I think from memory, the first episode, um, there's like a car burning up on the side on the side of whatever they call a motorway over there, the highway or whatever. And yeah. one of them is filming it, and these people kind of rescue a woman from the car, and they're saying to her, like, what? what the hell are you doing? And I look, I'm just doing my job. Like, while they film this burning car with a woman inside it. Um, but they try to kind of humanise them on the way. You know, the classic like documentary style, like they're filming from the back seat. Mm. It, yeah, like, it felt to me one of them, like I got the point after the first 45 minute episode. Okay. So yeah. like, I didn't need, but it's got really good reviews. So maybe it was just me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I trust your judgment with probably about 
centre things. So. Um, Gyllenhaal memorised the entire movie like a play. Uh, he felt that it then helped with him getting a character if he wasn't having to constantly kind of reread his script around doing it. He felt that once he got it memorised, then he could really kind of focus more on playing it out, I guess. Do you know, it was only... I was definitely in secondary school before I realised that not every film star didn't just memorise their lines before filming. Like, having done an incredibly small length school play where I had to memorize lines for it in junior school. Mm. I just kind of thought like that wouldn't be too much to ask for like someone being paid several million pounds, but I guess it's easier to get filming faster. Yeah, 100%. And it's not just that. You're doing it scene by scene and you're not in every scene. Oh, when I went when I next scene at half hour, all right, cool, I've got to memorize two paragraphs. Oh, not even like that. I just thought like, even and again i'm comparing it to doing a school play um in that you weren't then memorizing every line you were still just memorizing your lines for the scenes that you were in but yeah oh, i was you, a lot older you, than you I thought, perhaps should have been so you, you thought general would have memorized every character like every character's line no i thought he would just memorize his lines and it does so happen that this is a bad example because jake gyllenhaal is in every scene of this film there is yeah. not one scene in this film that he's not in um I would say, for example, if we were doing okay, just a James Bond film, I would I would have thought previously that Daniel Craig would memorise every line that James Bond has for when he's doing his scenes. But I know it I know well, I say now no, I've known for, for fifteen time. years or whatever. So the criticism you give Lato of the method acting and stuff, you think Jake Jason was doing too much here? Well, no, because, because he saw it out and get into character and stay in character. No, because We've he wasn't. Used, the there's no stories of him being a horrible person on set. There's no thing of him saying he had to do this and that. Like that one, he got carried away. I mean, he did lose twenty pounds, so he has gone. He has gone. Your he has gone. That's not even into this. No, I think that's just. I don't think that's... I'm, I'm not referring to him as method acting in this. He's not. I'm just no, wondering. No, you talk about. This, it, I think he's got into character, which. No, the the thing of doing too much is effectively where they use it as an excuse to be a dick is why I think it's like, what? I know, what, this I know isn't the an two excuse. examples that you've given. I know you don't particularly like Jared Leto. I know you don't particularly like Heath Ledger, whereas I know no, you do. I don't, do, do like I don't, I have no ill will towards Heath Ledger. I have slight ill will where people say you can't say anyone's a better Joker because he's no longer with us, but this happens to everyone that dies. Um, I my, do know that my you issue, like Jake Gyllenhaal particularly, and now I know I do. You, you, won't, you won't say he's doing too much here. No, my, my issue is effectively just the stories that come out where I'm like, it, it, you just don't need it. It's not doing anything for me. Is it Daniel Day-Lewis? They claimed he saw a ghost when he was on stage and he passed out because he was so in character. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I've never heard that Almost before, certain. Almost certain. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it's like, just... Just, just stop. <laughs> um, but we had it when we did Lawless, didn't we, with Shia LaBeouf, and he claimed it's because he was so in character he had to drink moonshine twenty four seven. It's like no, you don't. Just I saw you're paid to be an actor. I be an actor. Saw an interview. Sorry, just quickly. I saw an interview with Shia LaBeouf the other day from very recently. Yeah. Sort of seems like he's doing a little bit better. Well, the story I'm about to tell you may t- may tell you the opposite. Oh, right. So oh, okay. I saw his name in a headline, and it's not the headlines that we've spoken about previously. Um, 
but there's some kind of competition in America at the moment and it's for up and coming script writers and they're to submit their scripts and I think they're going to win a competition or something or it's just yeah. for some kind of like talent scouting um, he submitted a script of his own and was upset when he's told that he couldn't win because it was for people that are outside of the business already and he's uh, just trying uh, to take their opportunities <laughs> I get what you're saying, but that's less dickish than like because he is like from here. If you it is, he's the stories about him are horrible. Yes, they are. They are. They are. Um, but he was talking. Was, the interview he was given was talking about sort of almost like the fickle friends thing about Nick Cage. He was like it was like he was used up. He would just felt used up by the industry and stuff. And I just I got at the same um, time. I feel he probably burnt a lot of bridges himself by the sounds of him joking about like making women's lives hell on this set of lawless and the stuff he did yeah. uh, it's like i'm not surprised people probably don't want to hang around you and be your mate no i, I get what you say i'm not defending it but actually it was no to hear him have his say on it when he's not like obviously in a bad way like the the fucking sitting in a cinema watching his films for 24 hours was just fucking weird I, I would put him in the same conversation and you know how big of a fan I am here as Kanye and Kanye hasn't done half of the horrible things that Shia LaBeouf does and I would probably put myself in the bracket of being like a Kanye West defender um, but in the same bracket of um, I can imagine when you're in the presence of someone like that that has that level of like belief um, and it's maybe just well, not even slightly outside the box. They can be quite captivating, and it is one of their best points. But when Kanye's going outside the box, and it's like him releasing Jesus or saying about they're sh- bringing in school uniforms because poor kids shouldn't stand out, and when Shia LaBeouf's then like he's going a completely different direction. Um, but I think they're similar characters in probably the sense I've just said, where the, the same reason you love them is the same reason that you would hate them in how much of a maverick they are and going off the chain and etc, etc. Mm. Um, okay, so this was something I did want to ask you about. Um, Dan Gilroy considered a backstory that would help explain how Lou became the amoral and damaged survivor he was in the film. However, he ultimately cut the entire idea from his script because he didn't want to spend a lot of time on Lou's origin or give any way that would make him very sympathetic. They said the filmmakers made a point of not having Lou Bloom undergo a character arc because they felt he would they felt he'd already become a certain type of person and stayed that way as an adult. That's why there was the initial scene of him assaulting and robbing a security guard because they yeah. didn't want there to be any kind of impression that his work is what changed him. Like, he was a horrible person from the start. Now... Yeah, what was... Sorry, I was going to say we there was a question. Yeah, so this character is very open and shut in the sense that... And maybe that's not the best way to describe it, but we aren't given a backstory. He is who he is. At the end of the film you don't get a resolution for him. And that bothered me more. And I think this was the third or fourth time I've watched it, but it bothered me mostly this time because I found myself at the end of the film kind of being, okay, so where, where do we go from here? Like 
I've invested two hours here and you've not really given me anything because his, his partner dying isn't a conclusion for him. We very, we very clearly see that. And we kind of uh, just have to accept who he is from the start. And I, I thought that would particularly bother you. Sorry, sorry for saying that again. I thought it would particularly bother you um, that we seemingly got no real resolution and no real answers after investing two hours of your time. No, not, not I mean a little bit, but I don't think I enjoyed the film enough for it to bother me as much as you may think. If that makes sense, I wasn't. Yeah, over, just, I wasn't overly invested in it. No, okay, because I I like I like the film and it hasn't changed know, the amount I like the film. It it's just a particularly strange choice because usually if we were going to get that, it would be because there's going to be a sequel, or there's going to. Oh, okay, this film would probably be one where you'd get a prequel. Would you say? And it's like, this is how we got to this point. But we don't get that. It's effectively, um, from the get-go, you're told, this is a weird guy with questionable morals. And this is who he is. And you accept it and you watch the film, or you don't, and you go and watch something else. Yeah. I mean, does a moral redemption at the end change the film that much for you? That there's a there no, is a no. climactic incident, a climactic that he films, he, he outright films. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Um, no, but he, even even like if he was arrested, okay. Like even if they tied it up and said, which they effectively insinuate they understand what he's done, that he's set this up in a certain way to create the news here. And so he's endangered multiple people's lives when he could have made this so much simpler. Even if you end it and he is arrested for that, I think that gives you a conclusion. For it to be so open-ended, it's just an interesting choice, really. It, it's one I would have liked to have been in the room because I ima- you have you imagine they have to have had a conversation about that at some point. Um, and I'd just like to I'd like to be able to hear the basis for it. Hmm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, just, just surprised me a bit. Fair enough. Um. So the director, when asked about what the impetus for the film was, he said, "I think to some degree it's certainly an indictment of local television news." but I'd like to cast a wider net in the sense that all of us really do watch these images. I would hope that maybe a viewer would take it further and say, why do I watch these images and how many of these images do I want to put into my own spirit? But if they don't, that's on them, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, supposedly, and you don't, I think there's maybe one reference to a coyote in the actual film. Um, yeah. The theme of that off-camera was supposedly so great to the point where they nearly changed the name of the film and it nearly was called Coyote. No, I don't like it. No. Right. Nightcrawl is quite a cool name for a film. Very excellent as well. Very excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, several actors auditioned for the role of Rick 
but they say most of them played him as kind of a laid back pot smoking surfer kind of dude. And the director just loved how Riz Ahmed kind of from the start portrayed him as a much sadder guy. And I guess that yeah. helps with the ending of the film. Like you would almost give it the same reaction that Lou does if he was a guy that didn't really have much personality and then he's gone down at the end. It's kind of like, you yeah, do have some kind of feeling towards Rick more than anyone else in the film. Yeah, it's the closest thing you come to, other than the people who are getting like fucking absolutely turned over in the video. Yeah, yeah. Um, the plant that Lou waters in his apartment was originally a dog in the script. Both were meant solely to keep Lou from being too unlikable, but they what switched the it because the dog. <laughs> what I say, basically, the dog was too hard work. So. Lou watering a plant was at least supposed to show that he was human. What the fuck is a plant doing? It comes on and puts a little water in an orchid. Oh, he's all right. <laughs> the dog. The thing is, like, if they had given him a dog in this, I guarantee you there'd be people who'd be like, yeah, that's terrible, but he, you know, he looks after a dog. Yeah. I forget the rest of it. Uh, the dog, all right. It's, what a fucking ridiculous sentiment. Yeah, up. Uh, I love reading about Riz Ahmed because he does seem like a genuinely good guy and he, he, he like like we said earlier he does seem like a guy who really does dive into every character that he does and mm. I can never mention his name without recommending um, The Night Of to anyone that would care to watch it um, John Torturo and that as well we, you've seen that haven't you? No You've not? Okay um, I've, never, I've never heard of it Okay um, I'll give it a slight sell to you now because you you would definitely like it um it's a four-part miniseries no second no, third fourth you've, season you've lost it um what you, you didn't know what i said no no it's in, you've lost my interest oh, well, i'll say um riz ahmed he goes on a night out pulls goes home with this girl he wakes up in the morning and she's dead He's blacked out. He goes home. He's arrested. And it's effectively his, him behind bars trying to prove his innocence while he doesn't actually know what happened that night either. Um, but he's great in it. It's a HBO series. Um, John Torturo is his lawyer. And you've got some other good performances in there. But it's really gripping. And it's, it's like four 45-minute episodes. Um, but you... I've never recommended it to anyone that hasn't liked it, so take from that what you will. But it is, it is brilliant. Okay, fair enough. Kind of get the feeling you're not going to watch it, but uh, I didn't want to say I didn't want to say that outright. No, you're right. I'm not going to watch it. You uh, why? Because there isn't a second series. No, it's just I. I'm not displacing the list of things I'm watching currently for it, and then it's going to fall in at like number eighteen on things that I want to watch. Eight point five on IMDb. Oh, you know I hate IMDb's way of rating things. After we oh. did that higher or lower thing on the pod, <laughs> the synopsis is: after a night of partying with a woman, he picked up you a man wakes up synopsis. to find it. Yeah, that was my own. I was giving you the IMDb one. I'm sure yours is perfectly capable. Well, I was trying to create, paint the picture for you to watch it. Hopefully someone else that is listening does watch it and they can feed back with uh, their own excellent review because 
I'll give it my personal stamp of approval. Um, last bit of trivia. So, Riz Ahmed and Jake Gyllenhaal would both try and go without sleep and binge junk food. Suspicious there that they're saying that's just part of their character um, to help stay in character. Uh, during one of these all-nighters, Riz introduced Jake to Angel Delight, a classic British dessert. Jake enjoyed it so much, he requested it to be added to the options provided by catering. Angel Delight, I haven't had that in years. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, you strike me as a butterscotch Angel Delight guy. I did use to like butterscotch, you'll correct, mate. I knew I don't, know, I don't know what you're inferring there, but I did used to like it. No, I just know you'd like that, see? Uh, so you should trust. I was going to say that I know what's best for you, but that sounds like I'm sunning you. Um, trust you I know, know. The, I know you, what you like. You, you, you are good, honestly. I'm almost speechless, but you're trying to claim you know what's best for me. I do. You don't. Your recommendations, I, you run it, you bat very poorly. Well, right. tell me something that you've watched that I've recommended. That hasn't been what? for the pod. Oh, okay. We'll be here all night. I can't even feel what you recommended to me. No? Well, one of them, you, you're copping out saying that because it's been added to the list for the podcast, um, which escapes the fact that it has been added because you haven't watched it previously. No, that place beyond the pines. That is place beyond the pines. Yeah, but there's no point me watching it before, is it? Well, there could have been three brackets ago, to be honest. You always like it. You always say you like it when I've not seen a film because you like getting the. the no, rest. I don't anymore. I don't. Oh, okay. Because you're never enthusiastic enough. No, stop recommending me shit. Oh, actually, yeah, not for the pod. But look at some of the films you've hyped to, mate. Dread. Dread, Dread great film. Shocking. Um, oh, well, we did this last week, but I still maintain uh, that you like that film. I don't. Paris being on, I actually enjoyed more than I thought I was going to. I could say that every time. Back to the Future, I'll give you that. I actually enjoyed more than I thought I was going to. Um, but there have been some fucking shockers over the time. So there's not been enough for a strikeout, is what we're saying. Yeah, but in terms of. You, I don't know enough First, about baseball to continue this analogy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite a home run, but I'm close to uh, picking up a run for my team. Um, I'd say you've you hit a couple of singles. You're probably on second base. Thought you'd never ask. <laughs> you're such a fucking child. <laughs> <laughs> I just do. Um, I sometimes do this just because I can. Well, there you go. Um, okay, so. You weren't a huge fan of the film. I've got that. Any kind of emotion when he does effectively let his partner get iced? Mm. I, I know I've wrote something down to ask you, actually. And I think you're going to be on Lou's side here. Okay, cool. When they're renegotiating for the first time and yeah. he says 75 a night. First of all, for your own sanity, he should never ask, I could definitely have got more, couldn't I? That's 
there's no, there's no good comes no from asking good, yeah. that. But correct. when he does then try to renegotiate, I feel like you're on Lou's side. You say, look, we've agreed a deal. We can't renegotiate so soon. Take or leave it. I've told you what you accept. I mean, yeah, I agree. Did... I'll get to it because if I just ask you, it's going to be an open-ended. When Gyllenhaal takes her out for dinner, Lou takes her out for dinner to kind of pitch himself to her. Yeah. All, all I could think about was when Ron takes Ronica out at Anchorman. The oh, fact no. that it is the, the taking out the news anchor, he is then pitching himself in the exact same way and effectively saying, look, it's very good for your career if you were to get with me. All we needed was for Lou to break out. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight. Yeah, it's a lot more creepy, isn't it? It's 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 very creepy. I mean, the the Anchorman thing's still creepy, but <laughs> it's just. It, I mean, it is when you stop it. It's, it it is creepy, whatever way you look at it, but. Do you imagine how creepy it would be if, if Lou was doing Afternoon Delight with that smirk? Yeah, that wouldn't be, wouldn't be, wouldn't be nice that afternoon. That. But that was all I could think about. And then just the optics of it, um, very loosely on his side, but news anchor, slightly older, blonde hair. It was the whole time I was watching that scene, it's just glued through. Um, they say they made a point where they didn't want to have any kind of character arc for Lou. Do you think then the purpose of having the various other news employees, they effectively paint the moral dilemmas without ever having to go too deep into them? So they put it into your mind, they raise the question to you and then move very swiftly on. Do you think that's the best way to do it? Or do you think there should have been some more serious debate and it could have been a more serious theme of the film? Um, Say they have an extra five-minute scene of them discussing the morality of showing the dead bodies in the house. No, I don't. I personally, no, I don't think. I don't think so. The, the film, like, its morality is its immorality, or it's it's more it's. The moral, the moral point of it is that it just shows the immorality of the of the, the world we live in. So, do I you think... think they don't include it because they've already made their mind up that Lou's because... character isn't going to change? So, there's no point. Yeah, exactly. What I was going to say is, if it shows you either you just you're putting him in, and he's like, "Oh fuck it, do it, do it, do it," for the sake of it, that's fine. You you, you can to just to emphasise a point that you you've already made. Um which obviously you, you can certainly do, or you just throw him in even further to what you've already created. Um, and and like I say, that's, that then just becomes it. Well, exactly. It, it sort of is what it is. Yeah. Um, I know that they left it in the film. The point where uh, Rick says... Aren't we going to stand out for the fact that we're driving round in a bright red car? Was he thought that he thought he was the only one that had kind of noticed that on the set that they're supposed to be conspicuous and they are driving round in a bright red sports car? 
and the director basically just enjoyed the joke and thought, okay, well, if other people are going to think that, effectively you put that line in and you just acknowledge, yes, we do know what we're doing here. Yeah. Something else I thought of. They're obviously up all night filming the news stories. Yeah. Lou also seems to be up all day as well. So he uh, he genuinely is getting no sleep. He's like Jack mm. Bauer. Oh, I was going to say, a bit like fucking Vincent Hanna in Heat. Which is <laughs> on, on that kit. Well, we know what was keeping him up. Exactly. But there's no way this man wouldn't be taking some form of amphetamine. It kind of would go against his character, to be fair, but at the same time would make complete <laughs> make complete sense. Mm. Um, I think I might start asking this from now on. If this film was brought up in your office tomorrow, and someone said, "Should I watch it?" You weren't allowed to give any explanation. It was just a yes or a no. What would your answer be? Yeah. Hopefully they aren't allowed to pick up on your tone because I think that does kind of cheat the question there. Um, oh, it was, it was designed to. Yeah, I just I think you've uh, broken the unwritten rules there. No, you asked so, for a yes or no answer, so I gave you a yes yeah, or no answer. <laughs> that was cheating the yes or no answer system. You're supposed to answer robotically. Yeah, give it a watch. So I okay. Do you I want to do the judging? High, I had higher hopes for it than okay. what it delivered. Um, 2.5 mil did a, did a lot, a lot off a little. It its score on um, IMDb, and if you don't want to count that, then Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. If you don't want to count Same. that, then all these other ones um, very highly mm. oh, so often the films that I dislike do yeah um, okay let's get ready to do some judging I forgot I had a mind oh, blank. Of... stuck in my head now. <laughs> Same. And to the point where I couldn't remember the name of the first film. Um, so, which film did you prefer? Pain and Game. Okay. I, I prefer Nightcrawler. Which film do you think is more rewatchable? Pain and Game. I agree. Uh, best moment slash scene? Kidnapping. I'll also go for Pain Again and same scene I referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. Best quote I've given you mine. I can I can deal with his impotence. I can't deal with your incompetence. What would yours be? Uh, you can't move like that. God gave me a gift, and one of them is just to knock people the fuck out. <laughs> I feel like The Rock definitely insisted on that line himself. Uh, I agree, but it is funny. I do also like, I do love just when Danny Lugal just randomly throws out the motivational speaking. Um, If I I deserve it, the world will serve it. I love that. I was going to mention this earlier. Uh, Him being discovered by 
his cologne it was also false um he literally used his proper voice his real voice and he he recognized that okay fair enough mvp Danny Lugo. No, it's not, it's Lou. Yeah, it's got to be Lou, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Lives to tell the tale, gets away scot-free, gets some mm-hmm. good footage. And when he says, well, it's literally my job, I had to film him. The officer was like, oh, you know, fair enough, okay. Uh, best side character? Rick, Rick in it too much? No, I don't think so. I mean, he doesn't come into the back four of the film. He'd be Rick. Maybe Rebel Wilson. Sure, a character in this does fucking crack me up, to be fair. But she's rare because she doesn't in so many things. What'd you say? Because she doesn't, I don't often think, I I find her very hit or miss Rebel Wilson. You sounded like you were questioning yourself while while saying it. No, because I was going to say I don't find that I don't find it funny. I was like, actually I thought about no, what I've seen her in, and she, I think she's she's very hit or miss. There are some things I think she's great bridesmaids. Yeah, like and then and in this I think she's brilliant in this, and there are others I see it. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't don't understand it. Uh, which film had you more on the edge of your seat? Uh, no caller. I agreed. Uh, which film has more action per minute? Pain and Gain. I disagree there. So okay. I'll be here Best soundtrack? Pain and Gain. I like the recurring soundtrack in Nightcrawler. Okay. I wasn't really sure on how I felt on it. I thought it worked. It's one of them where the director gives an explanation and it, to me, doesn't really make sense. They say it's kind of, this mm-hmm. is when Lou's having an internal monologue. And it's like, yeah. oh, that doesn't really lie. <laughs> that might make sense to you. Yeah, this, but... is, this is a film you could actually just have him have an internal monologue. Yeah. It might make a bit more sense to understand him. Uh, which film has more originality? No, I agree. Uh, bigger impact? Nightcrawler, I think. Yeah, got the Oscar nomination. Not even just that. I think it's... Gillard Hall. As much as I like Pain and Gain, and I do, I think for the most people who had seen the two, you, you could... Pain and Gain, like, it is what it is. We say it all the time, but it when so many films are, they are what they are, and they relate to crimes. The middle of the bunch will sort of just melt, sort of melt together, don't they? Yeah. Um, best opening scene... I quite like when he robs the security guard, to be fair. It's quite, like you say, it sets up in conjunction with the rest of the film. It sets it up pretty well. I'm, I'm pain and gain. I, I love the monologue the at the start opening, of the film. The opening Danny Luna. Yeah, it's fucking just corny. Even though he would be very much against me uh, not using my physical gifts. Yes, he would, yeah. Best ending? Pain and gain. Yeah, that was a close one for me, but I yeah, will go for that. I was more satisfied with that ending. Uh, um, best chemistry? 
Heiningay. I agree. And I think, I think this I is think a close one. Th- I think as a three, they actually work pretty well. Yep. This is a vote. Dave. To paid in game. No, I guess so. You broke up a little bit for me, right? Six. Six five to paid in game. Very close. Very close. Yeah. Yeah. Last last two sealed it. Come back with the last uh the last two. Hmm. Well, drawing a win, I suppose. The last actual two categories. Yeah. Um so we go. Pain in game is through to the next round. There won't be a standard episode next Thursday. I'm at the darts, so unable to record from there. There will be something dropping on the feed. We hope, uh, can't say exactly what yet, but keep an eye out on your feed next Thursday and there will be something there, whether it's what we want it to be, whether it's not, there will be something there next Thursday. So keep an eye out there. Then the following week, we will be back with Mr. Nice against No Country for Old Men. You've seen Mr. Uh, and then the week, no. Like and then the week after that is Football Factory against Green Street. We we're expecting the return of our, our beloved Sean Shoot. I think that's one that we may have a queue for, so I won't confirm anything just yet. No, who, who else? I can't see Arthur when it's going that. Uh, I think he does, and I also think TK may really? want to as well. So, um, uh, I um, I for the films he likes, it just makes no sense that he's randomly just going to really like Footy Factory and Green Street. He he liked Cape Fear. If that tells you, if that tells you anything, yeah, no, that's not what I'm getting at. Like, I, I don't. No, know. no. Um, I think he, I think he basically just wants to be a bit more involved anyway. So I said, okay. we'll see where we go. I mean, if you've um, got a queue, I'm happy to step away for a week for the boys. No, we won't be doing that. I don't particularly want to, but I, I mean, if you no, don't want to, I'll pod again. Because the last time we, we won't, won't pod, be. we did for one. It was a fucking car crash. No, I think... It was great sure, fun. I, I think, um, in line with the film, like, if they have to scrap, and then whoever comes out on top, or whoever can send us their own best football factory star monologue um mm. to intro the show with that can earn them a place on the episode oh, tk tk for the best monologue and i think if, i think if you put them all in a scrap together I'm, I'm back in arthur okay well, well we'll see how we go there um i know at least two of them listen to this so they'll, they'll hear my thoughts they'll hear my thoughts regardless so you can tell them you can wait until they listen to it Oh, we'll, we'll see you later. We'll see how bored I am. Um, but thank you she, again she, for listening. I feel very disrespected by that, but I didn't mean it in that way. Sure he will, but... Will he back himself against Harper? I'm not so sure. There we go. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out on the feed next Thursday. Hopefully we have some good new content coming. Um, thank you for listening. We'll be back. Goodbye.